Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo and hello everybody, Mike here. Welcome to another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast. It is 2024 and I guess I'm entering my 43rd year in the hobby and I am super excited about 2024. This will be the first episode of the new year and it's going to be a solo episode. It's it's kind of an episode that I want to kind of lay out what I'm looking for kind of how I'm thinking about the hobby as we go into the new year and what I'm looking forward to. And yeah, that'll just be fun. When I think about the hobby and my hobby, especially, I kind of break it down into three things. I've got uh, definitely, obviously, cards that you're picking up, cards you're adding to the collection, trying to build the collection the way that I want to build my collection. Then I think about attending different shows. And I'll go into that in a little bit. And then content creation is a huge part of my hobby. And it's become that way over the last decade. And this show is certainly part of that. Golden Nature Cardboard podcast is so much fun. I love doing it. I took a little bit of a break late last year. And now kind of back going. I've got (laughs) the next three weeks already figured out on what I'm going to be doing. And then I'm going to get back to some basics on some stuff there in terms of this podcast. I'm going to continue to create videos on Baseball Collector YouTube channel, which is my basic YouTube channel. Then I'm going to continue to do, you know, Hobby Think Tank and occasionally guest host on Hobby Hotline. And I'll be doing Chasing Cardboard and hopefully a lot more Chasing Cardboard in 2024. It's weird how parts of life get in the way you know life is just uh, between work and family obligations those those tend to take up some time and for me it's uh, i've got in a couple of weeks less than two weeks now my daughter will be getting married that's been a huge thing that's been kind of there she's moving into a new house i'm helping her get it fixed up i mean there's a lot of personal stuff going on once i get through that things kind of free up. I mean, Julie and I are planning on taking several trips this year, just personal vacations and stuff like that. And so it'll free me up to do, uh, I think, a little bit more content creation, spend some more time doing that. Not that I don't do a lot of it already, which I do. And I really enjoy the the content creation side of the hobby. It allows me to connect with people in in a much, much deeper way Obviously, I've built a network of people within the hobby that I consider friends, tremendous uh, human beings, people that I respect. And so that's been part of this content creation journey. So I just plan on keeping doing on doing all that stuff normal as we go. 
talking about shows, I, I mentioned taking some personal trips, but also to me, uh, I want to do shows where I, it's an event for me, where it's an experience, where I get to go somewhere and do something different. And so I definitely have on the docket, uh, I'm going to be doing a couple of Dallas shows. I'm sure I'm planning on going in February because Craig is setting up there. And so I'll probably do that. I'll do Dallas shows as there are people that I know that might be traveling here to go to the Dallas show. I'd want to go with them and watch them experience that. That would be fun. Uh, hopefully have some more people come over. I know uh, I've got some friend. I got a friend, Mike Junkwax Heroes coming in February to hang out. So I love hosting people and having people over. That's a lot of fun. I am doing the Strongsville show in March or not March. It's April. I'm looking very much forward to that. Never done that show. Heard wonderful things about it. In fact, Andy and I, who's my traveling companion, we just booked our plane tickets and hotel. So that's done, ready to go. Uh, yeah, there should be some awesome vintage there. I'm, again, just really looking forward to that. Craig will be at that show as well, set up as a dealer. So yeah, looking forward to that. Then we've got the National after that in July for me. And that doesn't mean that things can't come up in the interim, but this is kind of how the schedule is laying out for me as, as it is right now here, January 2nd, January 3rd uh, of the new year. So na national, of course, in Cleveland this year, that's already booked, ready to go. I do plan on having a YouTube get together, kind of content creator get together, which would be for either listeners of the podcast, people that watch shows that create their own content, whatever, that'll all be happening in Cleveland this year, as it has the last four or five years that we've done that. That's going to be awesome. And then in the fall, I either want to do like Nashville or the Philly show. Those are some shows that I've wanted to go to before. Never had the opportunity to do that. Um, but I'll, I'll certainly have videos coming up about the national multiple videos as we get closer to that. Hope it is have interviews with some key guys for the national and that'll be a blast. So yeah, doing those types of destination places is high on my list of ways to experience shows, which is one of my funnest thing. Funnest isn't a word. Most fun things to do in the hobby period is attend shows because it's just such a unique and yet similar experience, no matter where you go. So looking forward to that. <clears throat> um, the main crux of this video today, this will probably be a relatively short video, is to outline kind of some target goals for my collection. Because at the heart of all of this, traveling, doing content creation, it's about the cards. At the end of the day, it's really about building the best collection for Mike Moynihan. It's building the best collection that I want to enjoy, that I want to have. And to that end, I am always working on projects I've got so many in the works and and that's a good thing it allows me to zig and zag all the time and be changing how i'm thinking about things but that also doesn't mean that i shouldn't be focused to some degree and make sure that i have cards that i'm like oh i'd really like to add this one and i've, I've done that over the years just to give me something to focus on and Again, with so many projects, uh, I was looking at my list 
before I got on here just to take some notes. And I kind of keep this master want list of cards that I want, cards and or autographs of players' cards that I want. And uh, that list currently sits at 514 cards. And uh, there's a couple that I'll never get. There's a Lajoy Gaudi. There's a, a Honus Wagner T206. You know, there's just some cards on there that are completely out of the realm of possibility. Uh, but they're still on there. Maybe as a, if I win the lottery or something. But there's... Of those 514 cards, I can get 500 of them pretty, you know, with a lot of money and a lot of time. It only takes money. It's just money. But that's not a lot when I think about it compared to what I have. I'm kind of getting some some holes filled, some boxes checked, and that's a good thing. On my four-decade set, I'm down to 233 cards that I need for that. And really... I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus more on the 50s this year because when I kind of analyze where I'm at, I need a ton of 80s cards. Those are easy to get, easy to grade myself. I have all of them in spades. So I could grade all those myself and solve that problem. Uh, the 70s stuff, certainly easy. 60s, less easy, but still obtainable. Where I have the biggest gap is... Really, 1950 Bowman, I'm only 37% complete with getting all the Hall of Famers for that set. And then 52 Tops, which, of course, there are some super heavy hitter cards in 52 Tops. Uh, Mantle, Campanella, Wilhelm, Eddie Matthews, and, of course, Mickey Mantle. All of those are very expensive cards. And so... <clears throat> But I'm only 46% complete with 52 tops, all the Hall of Famers. So there, there's some low hanging, lower hanging fruit there that can be gotten relatively cheaply. And so filling some of those holes and kind of narrowing it down is a goal for this year. I only need 61 Hall of Famers total to finish the 50s. The 50s, ironically, I have the most complete sets. And it's mainly because they're the fewest number of cards in each set that have Hall of Famers. So They've been, you know, readily available. And uh, so just continuing to work on finding five-star autographs that I that I want. Um, then there's always player era Hall of Famers autographs. Trying to get some more Hall of Fame rookie autographs in the collection. Never a bad thing. Uh, there's some guys I'm targeting. Frank Robinson, Brooks Robinson. Um, just... Some things that are, again, gettable, not, not necessarily cheap, but gettable. Tons of cards that I want that are pretty cheap. So that that's always good to have a mixture of cheap and expensive. If I was only going to buy three cards this year, I might be a little depressed, but that's not going to happen. Um, <clears throat> so focusing on the 50s is certainly a priority for me. And again, being an opportunistic collector. I think that's something that we could all probably strive to be a little bit better and more opportunistic. You never know what you're going to find at a show or on eBay when you're searching or whatever rabbit holes I go down all the time. And no doubt I'll buy plenty of cards that aren't on any list <laughs> that I just think are cool and want to own. So that's always something that, that kind of hits me whenever I attend different shows or 
my friends show me cards and it makes me like them. And I'm like, yeah, I want to get some of those. But here is a list of the kind of, as I went through my, my 514 cards that are on this master want list for Mike, I picked out 10 that I thought, hey, I could get these 10 this year. And that would be a pretty amazing year. Uh, knowing that I'll never get all of them, that's, <laughs> I wish I could say that uh, I have the hobby budget to do all of that, but you know, who knows? So I'm going to start with the newest card and work backwards on these top 10. All of these cards will probably be familiar to you. I'll describe them a little bit and where it fits in my collection and why I want to get it. The first one is the most modern card of all of them. Again, this doesn't include like Diamond Kings autographs that I'm always looking for. And like I said earlier, five stars. But 90, 1997 Ultra David Ortiz. That's the that's a card that should be easy to get. Uh, and it would fit in my Hall of Fame set registry, uh, post-war Hall of Fame rookie set registry. That's one of my favorite set registries, probably number two behind the 300 great cards by Mike Payne. And so I'm always trying to add to that. By the way, in just a few weeks, we'll have some more Hall of Famers. So there'll be other cards that I'll probably have to target. that don't have all of their rookies. I'm missing a Billy Wagner rookie. Trying to think who else is really up for it. I've got Beltre and Maurer and who else is up? There? Oh, uh, Todd Helton. So would love to get an Ortiz just to, just to check that box. There are, in all the autograph sets that I do, all the autograph projects that I have, there's a few cards that kind of stand out. And one of them that I put on this list is the 84 Donruss Grand Champions, Ted Williams. Recently, I picked up the Hank Aaron from that set. It's a Dick Perez set. So for me, it's high on the list of, of things that I, that I just love to get. And the Ted Williams is gettable signed. I only need the Williams and the Mantle. And I think for 2024, let's go for the Williams. And then in the future, go for the Mantle. The next card is interesting because it's a football card, actually. Uh, I really want a 72 top Roger Staubach in a in a PSA slot. Probably a mid-grade would be fine. Roger Staubach was one of those heroes of my mom as a Cowboys fan. All growing up, I was totally indoctrinated as a, as a huge Cowboys fan. And so Roger Staubach has a just... He's a hero here, and I just I would love to own his rookie card. And it's an obtainable rookie card. They're out there. They're all over the place. So trying to get one of those would be great. Next up, uh, going kind of backwards, 58. Uh, the Topps Warren Spawn is one of those weird cards that's eluded me for a long time. I actually have one signed, but I don't have one regular. So that's kind of a card I've targeted again. Some of these are expensive, some of them aren't. And, and that's kind of the point. I think for me, having a goal sheet of cards that are obtainable and, and kind of, okay, I want to make progress. I don't want to have things that are just like lofty goals that are unobtainable. That's kind of seems pointless to me. I want to have high but achievable goals, as they say. So that's up there. Another relatively cheap card, 51 Bowman, Phil Rizzuto. That's just, I have the 50 Bowman. I got that this past year at the National and I, the 51, same pose in the 51 Bowman. I just, 
love that card. You know, uh, Phil Rizzuto leaping up in the air to make a catch at shortstop. Just a, a cool card. I need a bunch of 51 Bowmans. That's just the one that stuck out to me. The 49 Bowman Gil Hodges. That's another uh, post-war rookie that just I would really like to add. It's probably the cheapest of the vintage post-war rookies. And kind of one of those, I wish I would have gotten it years ago <laughs> before he was in the Hall of Fame in anticipation, but never did. So now it's time to, to go after a Gil Hodges 49 Bowman. Next up, 39 Playball Joe DiMaggio. Now we're getting into all these All these other ones are certainly comma cards and, and a, multiple comma cards. But the uh, 39 Playball Joe DiMaggio. I love that. I love that. I would love the Ted Williams someday too. Uh, the Joe DiMaggio is just cheaper. And so that's just one of those great cards, all-time great cards that I would just love to add to the collection and is obtainable. Next up, 34 Gowdy Lou Gehrig. And the yellow one in, in particular, I've already got the green, 34 Gowdy Gehrig. Got one of the 33 Gowdies. I'd love the other one, but it's the same picture, so it's not as... High on my list of cards that I'm really going after, but the 34 yellow is definitely one of those. It's a great picture. When you find the right one, it's gorgeous. Uh, that yellow background really pops, and it's a it's a great Garrett card. I love his smile on it, all those things. So it's definitely a, a card I would love to add this year. Next up, another card that I, again, go back and wish I would have bought the last two for sure are cards I wish I would have bought back in the day, but the 34 Gowdy Hank Greenberg rookie is one of those cards that I would love to add. I think Hank Greenberg's criminally underrated in the hobby uh, just for how great he was as a player. And so to pick up his rookie card, 34 Gowdy would be great. That might be one of the national pickups or something like that. It's funny when I, when I have these cards I'm targeting and I'll, I'll keep this list all year. And, and kind of reference it, but I don't care where I get it. It's not like I have to get this one at the National. I have to get this one in Strongsville. It's, again, being opportunistic whenever the opportunity presents itself. Be ready to go and pick up the cards that you want. And then last, ooh, 1933 DeLong, Lou Gehrig. I've had multiple opportunities in 2023 to buy that card. and. I haven't pulled the trigger, so I'm kind of ready to get to get that one done. It's a grail card for me and would be kind of the highlight of my Lou Gehrig super collection if I have one, uh, being that he's my favorite player. That's just such a unique card, such a cool card, relatively rare card. And so, you know, I've seen him at, on auctions and, and gotten outbid and just it slipped through my fingers enough times where I'm ready just to finally get one. And that doesn't mean overpay. That doesn't mean do something silly, but it, it does mean make that a focus and prioritize that, you know? So again, short episode, but I wanted to just lay out my thoughts on 2024. I think the hobby's in a really good place. I think that with fanatics still, taking over the world in progress of that, that is continuing to happen. That doesn't really affect me as a vintage collector. Primarily. I don't really care 
I definitely follow along what's going on and love keeping up with the current hobby. But at the same time, it doesn't move the needle for me a lot. And so I don't spend a lot of time grinding my gears about what Fanatics is doing or not doing. I pay a lot more attention to the secondary market. I think 2024 is going to be a great opportunity for collectors to add some of those cards that they may have feel, felt like that they missed out on during the, the COVID crazy. I think that's softening. And, and so that's a good thing for collectors to that, that want to buy. And yeah, it's, um, I think the hobby ecosystem, I've talked about this in a few other videos, the hobby ecosystem is in a great place. Um, you, you need all of it. You need people that are opening packs to be able to put out singles, to be able for other people to buy them. You need dealers to continue finding inventory. I mean, I'm still surprised at how many collections we're finding with Chasing Cardboard that have cards that have, you know, not seen the light of day for 40 years and stuff like that. It's just kind of nuts that those still exist. Obviously, every one you find is one less that can be found. And so eventually that runs out, but or they become significantly more scarce. There's still, there's tons of cards. And that's the great thing about this hobby is if you want a card bad enough, you can find it that as long as it's, you know, not a one of one or super crazy rare stuff is, is out there and they're only getting, they're finding more of it, which is great. You know, we're finding piles of old vintage and sending them in to get graded at SGC or PSA or wherever. And it just, it, it creates a healthy market where there's buyers that want cards and sellers that want to sell cards. And that's the ecosystem that I think will just continue to move on down the railroad track. It's not going anywhere. And those who think the hobby's dying or that it's over or whatever, I just, I just think that's wrong. Uh, there's no indication that that's true. Will fanatics ruin the hobby? They might make modern collectors pissed off for a lot of things, but they're not going to affect how I hobby. Uh, really at all. So I'm kind of looking forward to to what they will bring in terms of excitement about the hobby. And I, I want people to come in the hobby and I, I want people to come in the hobby for the right reasons. I want people to stay in the hobby for the right reasons because they love it. And it's not all about the money, but I can't make somebody feel that way. They have to, they have to get there on their own. So that is it for me. So excited to be with you guys for another year of gold nature cardboard hopefully you'll follow along uh the journey this year and thank you guys so much for listening thanks for watching we'll talk to you soon keep collecting